0: And there's still time Come everybody get your game face on We're gonna help the white caps get the job done Strong in defense Stealing midfield striking, score and
1: goals will get the 3 point seal
2: We up to the league and we are top the league We up to the league and we are top of the
3: league The imagination Away from the Away from
1: the well hello there pop pickers and welcome to episode 46. Of There's Still Time, the AFTN podcast. I'm Michael McCall. And I'm Steve Pander. So three days have passed since the Whitecaps emphatic 4-1 win over
3: New York on Saturday. You still feeling cock-a-hoop about everything, Steve? Well, I think I'm a little bit more excited than you are, for sure, sure. You you had that article... About you know keeping your tempering down the expectations and everything. I've already got them in the top three of the Western Conference, obviously. After that performance, I, I'm, I'm probably kidding just a little bit, but I, I think they really surprised me. And I thought there was going to be some issues, especially starting the game and everything like that. And but the way they played in that first game um, really blew me away, and I, I didn't expect that kind of performance, even with a reduced New York side.
1: That that's kind of just my my public persona to be curmudgeonly. Inwardly and privately, I'm like really excited. I, I do think that we have a very exciting squad here in the city right now. It's a, a team that could really do well. I mean, if, if they keep playing the way that they played on Saturday, there is nothing that's going to stop them making the playoffs. The things that could stop them making the playoffs is them not playing like that, teams finding out about them and knowing how to play against them, and of course, the dreaded injuries. But we, we don't want to jinx things, so we... We're we're excited, everyone's excited, and we we spoke to Carl Robinson and you'll hear that in a little bit, and we we talked about kinda like keeping feet on the ground and tempering expectations and right now that is what we have to do. We haven't seen how the team are gonna play on the road. We're gonna get an idea over the next two weeks how that's gonna be. But we've both had a chance now to to re watch the game. Is there anything that we didn't cover on Saturday that you kinda want to mention just off the bat, Steve?
3: One of the things was um, that I, I noticed after looking at all the stats was that we only were offside twice. And I think that was one of the biggest things that stopped the attack last year. A, a guy like Maddox was especially guilty of, of making late runs or early runs and, and getting himself in offside positions. It only happened twice. And only I believe Maddox was only responsible for one of them. So that's a, I think that's a huge improvement. And that will be able to help them, let them get a better attack and, and more timely runs and everything like that. And and I think it should help them in the long run. Yeah, definitely.
1: And it's good for Matix to change his game. Not just him, like Manny has to learn to do that, Hurtado. All the pacey guys need to be better at judging when they're going to be offside, when they're going to stay onside. And if he can be onside and take advantage of those chances then that's going to be the key and that's what Matic's isn't doing yet but one thing that I noticed from from watching the game back and I do want to mention is I've been on Darren Matic's back quite a lot since about April last year but I want to give praise where praise is due I missed some of the stuff that he did during the game seeing it on on the PVR watching the game back his work and his play in that Fernandez goal was just fantastic the the ball we played back and the spin around to take the defenders away, and then going out wide and controlling the ball, and then setting Fernandez up for the goal. I thought that was magnificent.
3: Yeah, it, it was it was a fantastic play. And also, um, we mentioned it. I mentioned it that day that uh, like normally when he had the ball in that position around the box, he would attack, and basically try to take on the defender, and, and sometimes you know leave a shot that would you know obviously not desired. This time he saw Fernandes coming out of the corner of his eye, let it off for him, and basically Fernandes took care of the rest and scored a fantastic... And and obviously the game-winner eventually it led to.
1: Now one of the other things which I kind of noticed, and I wanted to watch a bit more closely when I I watched the game back again. On Saturday, I I knew Laba had had a good game. I thought he had a bit of a quiet game just because he didn't stand out. And we've discussed this before that when you're in the DM role, you kind of want to have a quiet game and kind of not be noticed because that's kind of what the position is is there for. But watching it back, Laba was magnificent. And Kenny Miller in training this morning, he really sung his praise as well and and thought that he he had a great game. And he is going to be such a key factor for the Whitecaps this season to come.
3: I noticed it right during the game that the the Rio, uh, the partnership between Rio Coker and Lava, and I it's still a new partnership too so it's gonna get time for those two to get used to each other. Uh, but Lava was really intercepting the ball. The uh, the the basically the New York midfield was not able to get anything going forward down the middle. They relied all everything going on the wide, and that's why they had twenty eight crosses like during open play and everything like that, which is a high number. That's because they were couldn't get anything down the middle. Rio Coker was shutting him down. Lava was shutting him down. And it allowed the attackers to get forward, especially in the second half. They really moved the ball forward. And both of us have, well, you, me more than you, have been critical of June Marcus Davidson last year. Lava, I know he's being paid a lot more, but it's definite. You can see the difference in quality and him being able to get the ball turn it upfield, and find those attackers on quickly on the run.
1: Yeah, Laba and the other South Americans, I think, have impressed everyone. One of the articles which I, I wrote for Soccerly today was basically saying the Whitecaps are not a surprise package anymore. If anyone didn't know what these guys could bring to the table before now, then, th- then they certainly do after watching that game. The play of the South Americans was fantastic, and both Fernandez and Morales are up for MLS Golf the Week in Week 1.
3: Yeah, we already talked. We discussed a little bit about the uh, the the Fernandez goal and what happened there with Darren Maddox holding up the ball and then spinning around. the The Morales goal was is really nice too. It was it, it started off with Morales whipping the ball around, really nice into the path of Mane, who did a, those several crossovers and eventually took a shot, but it deflected off Eckersley. It eventually got back to Rio Coker. Who did a nice step around and went around the defender? I believe it was Sam, but I can't remember right now. And he moved into the box and found, and instead, and it was nice that Morales, instead of going forward, actually held back a little bit. Rio Coker realized that, cut it back to him, and Morales basically on what seemed like a one hop, and for a guy who was not used to that turf, um, did a nice job of timing it and nailing it into the bottom corner. It was a, it was a really good goal. The finish of Fernandez was better, but I think if you look at the build up of the Rio Coker move and build that into that, I think the Morales goes right up there with goal of the week. So is Morales
1: going to be the guy that gets your vote this week?
3: No, I I am kind of going back and forth. I I can see both as being good good candidates, but if you look at just the finish itself, I think it, it would be Fernandez in my books.
1: I, I love the finish from Fernandez and I, I like the build up, as we talked about with Matix. but for me, my vote would have to go to Morales. I just like the, the whole play of that, just the fact that it started with a quick free kick, Mane's fun stepovers that, that brought the, the crowd to their feet. As you said, the great play by Rio Coker, and then a, a great finish and a great debut goal by, by the Chilean. Of course, the the danger is this splits the vote because people can't make their mind up and then somebody else comes in and wins. But both great goals. But basically, it was a a great cherry on top of the cake that was a fantastic 4-1 victory.
3: Well, there is a chance that the the Whitecaps do win because I don't think there is a Timbers or Sounders goal up for goal of the week. So everybody has an equal chance in this one, at least.
1: Now, we talked about temper and expectations. We didn't get a chance to speak to Carl Robinson after the game on Saturday due to our stuck-in-an-elevator escapade that that we talked about and was all over Twitter. So we spoke to Carl on training at Tuesday just to get his thoughts about the game now that he's had a couple of days to let that sink in, how well he thought the team played, about tempering those expectations and also a chance to discuss who won the fashion stakes. Very fashionable sideline. Was Carl the best-dressed coach or was it Mike Petka? Here's what Carol had to say. Yeah, Uh, so, Carl. Obviously, this season got off to so a great start for you on Saturday. Could it have gone any better? Was it kind of like a fairy tale, winning against your old team? And I said that? on
2: Saturday, yeah, it was. It was probably written in the stars when the fixtures come out. About um, it was against my old team, and obviously my my friend as well, Mike. And You know, my first game as a head coach at home in front of a sellout crowd and, you know, I think it was just fitting that we got the reward. I said it was the players' reward um, for the supporters as well because it's been a tough off-season, you know, but we've got things to look forward to now.
1: Obviously, a lot of folk are getting a little bit carried away because it was a very, very dominant performance. What do you have to do to kind of keep the players' feet on
2: the ground and also maybe to temper expectations of the fans a little bit? Yeah, I said after the game, you know, my expectations are that, you know, I want to be successful this year and one performance doesn't make a a season and it certainly won't. You know, it was important. We got off to a, a good start and we did. We played some excellent football and I think the thing that I can take from the game is that the 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 information I give the players over the first six and eight weeks uh, in pre-season they took on board and they showed what stuff we'd been working on on the pitch on a Saturday and for me that's all credit to them because they'd done it obviously we scored some cracking goals against the top team so there are a lot of positives but you know the, the goal that we conceded annoyed me because we didn't need to concede that goal as well in the last minute you know and if you look at the game as a whole the first 25 seconds Kenny could score and the last minute we conceded so it's a very fine line between obviously conceding goals taking chances and winning games of football so I won't get carried away I'll certainly make sure the players don't care, get carried away but it was a, it was an important win
1: Now it was a very stylish sideline on Saturday who do you think
2: won the, the fashion battle between you and, and Mike Pecky? Uh, I'm not sure I think everyone's got their own opinion or whatever but, um, He had a
1: nice and tie and tie He um, did he, um, but he
2: went for a th- three tone thing I think he had a shirt um, shirt and a tie that were different and then a jumper that was different again and I think sometimes it's like wearing a spotty, spotty shirt and a striped tie. I don't think you can do that. So, um, uh, you know, Mikey's fashionable. He, he's, he likes. He, I think he thinks he's the best dressed coach. And you know, if he, that's what he thinks, then I'm happy for him. But, you know, I'll just keep going about my business myself.
1: Right, after the game, um, we noticed that the players that weren't involved had a kind of scrimmage yep. game for them. Is that something you're planning to do the whole season? And what's behind
2: your thinking of that? It is. Um, you know, one thing I, I learned from last year, and you know from being in Major League Soccer is the players that don't play on a a Saturday sometimes miss two or three days of training because... You know, obviously they're they're disappointed about not being involved in on the Saturday, and then, you know, they have the Sunday off as well. So they don't train the Saturday, they don't train the Sunday, and and Friday's preparation for the game is is pretty low key. So what I want to do in the early part of the stage season is make sure that they don't lo- lose their levels of fitness because they're they're all key players. They're all going to have a part in the squad at some time um, and in the team. And when I give them that opportunity, it's important that they're fully fit, um, they're focused, and they're ready to take that chance because, you know, some might only get one chance, others might get three or four. Chances, but they need to be in tip top shape because you know we need to be one of the fittest teams in the league if we're going to play the style that I want to play. And I think they showed on Saturday that the the 11 and the subs that come on that we are. And it's important that the group on the outside at the moment, who won't be on the outside all season, you know, um, stay fit and focused as well. That's great, thanks so much, Carl Okay, thank you.
3: Carl Robinson, talking to Michael at training on Tuesday, he obviously, one of the things he was upset about was giving up that late goal and we should talk about the defending a little bit what what did you think about that do you think it was a big issue do you think it was all ousted do you think the defenders had something to do with it of course, should the cross have come in in the first place?
1: When I saw it live, I wasn't sure if it was Andy O'Brien or David Ousted that were at fault but then when you watch it back I, I do feel that O'Brien must have had a shout. I, I don't think he would have left the ball like that and not even gone for it if Ousted hadn't made the shout that it was his ball. And if you do that as a keeper, you then have to get to it. Now, obviously, you're not going to get to it every time. At the end of the day, it wasn't like catastrophic because it just all it spoiled was a, was a clean sheet. It was still a 4 1 victory. It was a, a little bit of kind of took a little bit of a gloss off it, I guess. But more worrying was the fact that they switched off. And they they didn't deal with the cross into the box. I guess the key is going to be if it happens during a a more competitive moment of a game as to to how they do. But between that kind of blip and what Ousted did in Portland, the, the pressure, I'm not saying it's mounting on him, but folk are starting to ask questions about just how good he is as a keeper
3: yeah definitely especially after the portland like you said the portland incident um, now he's got this goal that you know a lot of people are putting the blame on him uh, there's still going to be continuing the questions i guess if he did have that one save early in the game off sam that that was a good diving save went off the uh, post and went out for a corner so there were there was that good sign if he had kept the clean sheet i think a lot less questions obviously a little bit more because of the goal allowed uh, one of the newcomers maybe we should talk about is also uh, Stephen Bateshore. He he seemed to be a guy that was uh, suffering a little bit from the international duty. Uh, what did you think of his play?
1: Yeah, I think of all the defenders, he possibly had maybe the weakest performance of the four of them on, on Saturday. He is going to have been tired from travelling back from international duty with Iran. So, I mean, that is a little bit understandable. And I'd still rather have him not at his best than to put Ethan Sampson in to, to a game like that when he, he's not really fully prepared for it. I thought he did okay. He didn't start getting up the wings as much as we saw in, in some of the pre-season games. But that will come. And once he's had a bit more time to adjust and not been flying across the world, then that will definitely happen. But he's a great addition. And I think we'll kind of see the best of him now in the in the weeks to come. Now we caught up with Stephen Bateshure after training on Tuesday just to ask how he's kind of settling into Vancouver what he thought of the game on Saturday and of course no interview with Bateshure would be complete without talking about the World Cup and his hopes of playing for Iran Here's Stephen Betashur. So Stephen, the team obviously got off to a really good start on Saturday. You've been around the league long enough to know that one game at the start of the season doesn't really mean that that's how the season's going to go. What do you feel you have to do maybe to temper expectations a bit in the squad just now? Oh,
0: well, you saw it today in training. You know, everyone's working hard. You know, even though we got a great result, uh, you can't just settle and you can't be con- you know, content with what you have. So you have to always try to improve and get better. And today was definitely a, a great stepping stone towards that. Um, we have a tough match coming up uh, on the road at, uh, at Chivas. So we just have to, you know, make sure we, we stick to Carl's to game plan and uh, and good result will come from that. Uh, In the game on Saturday, you picked up a card early on. How does that change
1: your your mindset for the rest of the game, especially when it's a replacement ref, you don't know how they're going to be? Did that put added pressure on you during the game?
0: Uh, You try not to focus on it too much. Um, I think one thing, maybe just try to stay on your feet. But um, as far as being aggressive, you still have to be aggressive. You still have to, you know, get into tackles and stuff. But uh, maybe just staying on your feet would, uh, would help out in that cause. Now, you've played at BC Place before, I think three times with San Jose.
1: How, what was the difference playing there as a home player and have you got used to the turf yet? Because I know a lot of players, when they've been visiting players, have criticised the turf a little bit.
0: Yeah, well, the difference definitely is the crowd, you know. You uh, you have the crowd rooting for you instead against you, so it was great um, having them behind me and our team and it's different, you know, you're coming into the place and it's a tough place to play, you know. Um, I don't know exactly or, you know, the, the, the home record here in the past few years, but I have a real, real good feeling that we're going to have a very, very, very good record this season at home. So I'm excited to be a part of it and, uh, and yeah, hopefully we can uh, win all of them. Who
1: knows? Now, like go Going into the season, there was a, a lot of people kind of had the team... Not making the playoffs, MLS I think had the Whitecaps as 18th overall. Do you feel that the performance on Saturday is going to have opened people's eyes up a little bit, and you're not no longer kind of a surprise package
0: now to everyone? They had us 18th overall. Yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> well, that that shows I try not to focus too much on on that kind of stuff because we know the talent that we have within our team. Carl's doing a great job and kind of telling us what he wants from us, and and we're we're really eager to kind of show them what each player individual and as a team what we have so I think uh, you know this past Saturday was a great start against New York and we just have to continue that uh, on Sunday and get another good result and then people can can say what they want from there now just from a
1: personal point of view obviously the World Cup's coming up this year you won't have been told yet whether you're going to be in the squad but is it hard not to look ahead to Brazil and what that might kind of hold in store for you
0: um, I'd say it's hard for how many people ask me. <laughs> it's it's actually it's not too difficult for me because uh, I was brought up that way not to get ahead of myself, you know. Um, you know the saying, don't count your chickens before they're hatched. Uh, so I just, right now I focus on, I'm with Vancouver and we have to play on Sunday against Chivas and I want to play to my best abilities and that's it. That's all I focus on. And, and then, you know, if I do well, good things come from it. So, yeah. Um, if, if I start getting ahead of myself thinking this or that or World Cup or anything like that, I think you stop improving and you can't have that as a player. So you always have to get better.
1: Have you been given any indication as to how long you might be away if you are in the World Cup squad? I mean, are they having a camp in May kind of pre-tournament?
0: No, I haven't asked once again. You know, if they call me, I go. If they don't call me, I, I'm here. So I just kind of uh, I go day by day, yeah. It's a, it's a young team. You've got a, quite a veteran backline. Obviously,
1: for the, all four of you just now to go the whole season without picking up an injury would be kind of a, a bit kind of unusual. What, what advice do you give the young guys like Ethan and Samara, could be, and even Christian Dean as, as centre-backs? What can you veteran guys kind of impart to them to kind of help them when they do come into the team?
0: Yeah, well, we have a great training staff over here, and they're really working with us uh, to kind of prevent injuries. So hopefully they can keep us off the injury list for the entire season. But... Uh, as far as you know, the younger guys—they're um, group, good group. You know, they listen. They're they're hungry to learn, and they kind of they feed off of the the, the the passion we have in practice and in games and stuff like that. So you really don't have to say too much to them because they, they have such good character, and um, and they're they're really they're talented and they're young and I'm excited for their future for sure. That's great. Thanks so much, Stephen, and good luck for the rest of the season. Thanks
3: for having me.
1: So as we said, a great week for the Whitecaps. It was also a great week for the Western Conference teams who were quite dominant against Eastern Conference opposition. Now I had a chance to watch all of the games over the weekend and last season we did a section on AFTN in written form called MLS Musings. We're now going to do that as part of, maybe hopefully weekly, but we'll see how it goes on the podcast, where I'm just going to review the week's games in MLS, some of the highlights, the lowlights, Players of the week, goals of the week, that kind of stuff. So here's our first MLS musings of the 2014 season. Now the first weekend of the season is always an exciting time. No matter what league it is in the world, it's a... It's a time where supporters are filled with hope and joy and expectations for the season ahead. And usually by the end of the first month, most of them are disappointed and out the window. So the 2014 MLS season kicked off in Seattle. The Senators played host to the defending MLS Cup champs, Kansas City. And it was quite an interesting game. No real great shakes, but I mean, both teams had a few chances. A I, I, I draw looked like it was going to be a fair result for both sides until up popped Seattle. 94th minute winner and you kind of had to watch that and think how big is that going to be down the stretch when it when it comes to October and playoff placings are up for grabs and positioning how big is that additional 2 points possibly going to be for Seattle certainly not good from a White Cats perspective if we're needing to kind of be battling them down the road but we'll see how that plays out the first All Eastern clash of the MLS season took place between DC United and Columbus crew. And the crew ran out very comfortable 3 0 winners. It doesn't look like there's any new regime or any change of fortunes coming anytime soon for, for DC, unfortunately. Hickoween looked really sharp for Columbus, got a couple of goals, and, and it looks like he's going to be another impact player this season. One of the interesting things, obviously, for this whole weekend was to watch to see how the replacement rested, And I think on the whole, over the course of the games, they they did really well. It was very noticeable, though, in this DC-Columbus game that any time there was decisions, and I, I, I said this in the, the podcast at the weekend with the New York players in the first half against Vancouver, but the DC players were a disgrace. They crowded and were all over the referee from basically the, the first foul of the game. And they were really trying to put pressure on him to, to kind of influence decisions. And I'm hoping that if these replacement refs are going to be in for a few more weeks, the MLS are going to do something about it and really kind of stamp down on it and make sure that teams are punished heavily if their players kind of hassle the refs like this. Now, the next game up was Houston against New England. And Houston put in the performance that would see them leading the supporters' shield standings. 4-0 win over New England. An amazing first half. I mean it it, it was 3-0, three early goals and it, it could have been so much more. But New England also had a lot of chances in that half and just they just couldn't take them. New England had gone for one striker up top and I, I think that showed the danger of doing that in this league. Just going to one, they had to change it at half time. They were three goals down by that point and they had to bring on a second striker. But that is a danger and that's just what happened with Martin Rennie a lot last year. Went with the one striker, went with the defensive lineup, and then as soon as they go behind and things aren't going in their in their favour, they struggle to know how to change it, and that's exactly what happened with New England, and they paid the ultimate cost for that. Now they they did have possibly the miss of the weekend when Jerry Bengston missed a sitter from three yards out. I have no idea how he could not put that in the in the back of the net or even hit the target. It was just incredible miss. There were a couple of really good games this weekend and one of them was Dallas against Montreal. 3-2 win for Dallas and it could have been all so different. Eric Miller, who was a guy that the Whitecaps were rumoured that they were wanting to take in the in the Super Draft before Montreal nipped in ahead of them and took him off her hands, maybe it was a godsend because he missed a really good chance in the third minute. Making his MLS debut, missed a great chance to put Montreal up and it cost him because then... Dallas went, took control of the game, went 2 1 up on a Blas Perez penalty, which, which was won by Diaz going down far too easily. On first glance, you're looking at it, and this is what the ref obviously saw, and it's like, yep, clear penalty. You see the replays, it's simulation, something else that you really hope that MLS are going to kind of take a stamp on this season. The Western Conference had done really well against the Eastern opposition. The only team to really let them down was Portland, who had a one-all draw with Philadelphia at home at Piggy Park and I tell you, that was another late winner. 93rd minute, like we said for Seattle, how huge could this be down the stretch? And it's it's one of those things that Whitecaps let a goal in in stoppage time. The Cascadian rivals both got winners in stoppage time. Let's hope that's not a trend that's going to continue this season. Wasn't really sure how Philadelphia were going to be this season, but they, they looked really good. I mean, they, they came out well. They took a deserved lead, but you really have to question Philadelphia's marking on the goal. Bunching and just outside the six yard box, standing around as the corner came in, and yeah, it should never they should never have allowed it. And when you have the chance of going to go into a place like Portland and getting three points and then you lose it because of something like that, that just must drive the coach nuts. And the final game of Saturday night was an all western conference affair between LA and Salt Lake. And Salt Lake ran out 1-0 winners. A little bit of a surprise. I kind of thought LA would get off to a really good start. Had a really strong lineup out there. It was a tale of the keepers, though. Pineda for Los Angeles, Romando for Salt Lake. Save after quality save. And we've said this before. This, to me, this is what can make or break, be the difference, really, between a, a team going deep in the playoffs and not... And you saw that with Donovan Ricketts last year, who incidentally did have another strong game for for Portland and lots of people were wanting to see how he was going to do this year. But Romando and Pineda, they put in some great performances and it looked like LA were going to kind of salvage a point as well when they got a a late penalty in stoppage time. Should never have been a penalty. Canadian guy, Rob Friend, shocking, shocking case of going down in the box when he was never even touched. But Karma, Karma's a bitch. So's was Robbie Keane, and he missed. Or rather, should I say, it was a great save by Romando. RSL had actually, when they took the lead, it was a bit of a controversial decision. They'd had a goal disallowed earlier that didn't look like it should have been ruled off. This one looked like it was possibly offside and it was given. So again, bit of karma, made up for it. Real Salt Lake, three points, huge three points for them. And the final match of the weekend saw a surprising win for Chivas. The Whitecaps are going to go and play them next week and two form teams, two winning teams, are going to battle that out. Going into this game, I it was a, a two watches. It was kind of Yallop watch. How was Chicago going to be under Frank Yallop? And hard to tell so far. They went two down. Chivas went two goals up in the second half. And Chicago fought back well to make it two all. But then after that, Chivas kind of took over a bit, got the winning goal. Could have had a couple actually. Chicago, we still don't know how Yallop's going to be, but I think if you if you were to give me now the choice of having Yallop and his old-fashioned ways, or Carl Robinson and his more modern managerial techniques, give me Carl Robinson any day. So that was my first MLS Musings for this season. We'll be back next week with some more Musings. <music>
3: So those were Michael's thoughts on the MLS weekend. Uh, a couple points I wanted to add on to that, uh, Michael, for a second here. I thought one of the things was interesting is that the people that, the teams that did the most tinkering with their backline in the offseason were the ones that suffered the biggest losses. Like, for example, D.C., United, uh, New York had a, a, almost a brand new backline, even though Olave is going to come back. Montreal did a lot of tinkering because they didn't have Nesta anymore. And they had a rookie in Eric Miller. Um, even New England, they had the Defender of the Year still on cause with them. But other than that, uh, I was surprised to see them lose 4 nothing. That was a big of a surprise too. But other than that, it was uh, I thought one team that really surprised me, I, I picked them to be in the MLS Finals, but I didn't expect Philadelphia to be that strong right away where they almost came away with the one nothing win in Portland.
1: Yeah, hard to tell from week one as to how these teams are going to do over the course of the season, but I, from from the early going, it looks like it's going to be a, a really exciting season and the Whitecaps are going to have to be at their best if, if they want to get into the playoff race. Now, of course, part of being at their best is the hard work that the team are putting in in training. So, Steve, you and me were at training on Tuesday morning and, and we watched some of the, the drills and they had a, a nice scrimmage as well. What what was your thoughts of what you saw today?
3: Well, I think everybody's the the work ethic is still there. I think they're still like pushing hard and everything like that. They're from the looks of it, early looks of it, they're not resting on their laurels and and you know thinking of that four one win. They're going looking forward to the next game, obviously, and I think that's very important. I think uh, the the I think one of the things that I found interesting was, and we b- both noticed this, was Carl Robinson was right into middle of the instruction like when giving instructions on the pitch there was one incident where he was uh, describing trying to get the defenders to figure out how to slow down people when they're running into the box and everything like that and he was uh, there was one point where he was actually shoving kenny miller and i commented to you do you think martin rennie would ever have shoved kenny miller the way carl robinson shoved kenny miller uh, in that drill
1: Yeah, it was kind of fun to watch because it wasn't just once either. He did it like two or three times to kind of demonstrate his point. Obviously, Kenny was fine with it, but he was very hands-on and it was really good to see. And he's got a lot of ideas. He knows how he wants the game played. He knows what weaknesses he's seen. Him and his coaching team have obviously spent a lot of time already looking over the game tape. And there's a lot of hard work went into training today. I was good to see the players that didn't feature on Saturday being really up for trying to get in the team. And we, we spoke to Carol about that as well dur- during the interview at the start of the show, where he explained that he's going to kind of try and raise their fitness levels by having those that don't play on a Saturday doing a, a little bit of extra training. So, I mean, that, that's all good. And I, I think the competitiveness in the team, it's looking good. Fitness of some of the guys, though, I know it was a long training session because we we're pretty much on the field for two hours today. And... There was a few of the guys, like, Mattix was bent over a couple of times, kind of gasping. So was Jordan Harvey a little bit. And I I think I think it's a much higher tempo than some of the stuff that we saw last year. And that can only be good for the team.
3: Yeah, it's going to help them definitely in the long run. Because um, it's going to keep people up to the same game level that they would play during the week. And so they're not going to have that. They're not going to have to ramp up their uh, intensity for the games, if they're not, if they already got it ramped up during the training. And
1: there was a new face at training this week. Well, we say new face, he's also an old face, but it's a guy that's not currently on the MLS squad. Former residency player and current Duke striker, Brody Hutema, was back in training. And Steve, you caught up with Brody after training today, had a chat about how times are going at Duke, his footballing future, and what he thinks of the new look whitecaps. Here's Brody Hutema. <laughs>
3: Your first season at Duke, uh, how do you feel that went uh, as a, like a first season in college soccer?
4: It was a, it was a good learning experience, I guess, um, for the first year. I don't think I did personally as well as I, as I would have liked. Um, it's a totally different kind of soccer than here. I uh, used to playing, kind of like to play it on the ground here at Whitecaps Residency and going there, a lot more uh, through balls, a lot more direct soccer. And then I think at the end of the year, we finally came together as a group and really started um I don't know, we we kind of understood that we needed to start playing to win, yeah. so we went on like an eight-game win streak at the end of the year, and that was finally when we started to play, settle it down. So I think that was good. It was a good thing to build on, and I think we can build on that for next year for sure. It's, it's weird. The system's really weird. Uh, we actually ranked 42nd yeah. going into the tournament like selection, but it's not so much rankings. It's a panel that selects, so we were actually selected the one team outside of the tournament. Yeah. It was between us and another team. Um, for the final spot in the tournament and then they so they chose the other team it's kind of it's kind of a weird system how the 40 ranked can rank team in the nation no
3: you get in. Now you, uh, uh, you, oh, you did make the all academic team for the ACC how, how yeah. like was it difficult like, or did residency help you in balancing the education and the in the school or was it easier because you weren't training as much
4: I think i was I was training the exact same amount actually there but I think it was very systematic and it allowed me once after the first two weeks i understood how to really balance it because it's all the same system I have training in the morning till eleven and then class um, and homework basically till the end of the day so I but yeah I would say residency definitely helped me because there were lots of papers and stuff I'd have to do on the road, so that really helped me with finishing off those long midterm papers at school because that 's mostly what the grades come from or midterms uh, final exams and, and long papers so
3: if there was one thing that was uh, like you maybe learned off the pitch that you maybe obviously you were living near home or close to home or here uh, moving away from home obviously that's a different thing what's the one thing that you learned off the pitch about that maybe improved your game on the pitch um I think just being responsible for myself, I
4: think I'm, there's not my parents or like I was when I was staying here in Burnaby. There's no bill of family, or whatever. When they went to bed, I had to go to bed. So it was really self responsibility that I put on myself to go to bed, get the proper nutrition in. Um, and then another thing I would probably say is is after training uh, here at Whitecaps, you can stay after and get that extra work in. There's not so much because I have class right after, so I have to rush there. So it really made my, I was really forced to come in on weekends a lot, so that was a good change for me because it allowed me to, you know, work on whatever I wanted for however many hours I really wanted, because I have access to the field whenever I need. So that's that's a really nice change,
3: being at Duke. Um, you were uh, you were kind of like a uh, in a way a big fish in a small pond here. You went to do whatever people want to say about the technical ability there and everything like that. But it is uh, you're playing with much older guys. Some guys are in 22, 23 years old. How 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 was the adjustment there when you first started? Yeah, no, it was interesting because when I showed
4: up for preseason, I was 17, and um, our oldest player I was actually a grad student, transfer student from England. He was 24, yeah. so there was a seven year gap from that. But I mean. The physicality is no different than coming out here um, and training with these guys. Obviously, the skill level is a lot more, but physicality, I would say, it's fairly similar um, compared to here, like with first team. But um, I mean, there's there's players on our team like um, Sean Davis, who's an ex U.S. national team player, plays a red, for the Red Bulls, and he, his technical ability is is matches players out here. So it's really good I get that one on one work with him. Him and I usually go out to the field together and and get some extra work in there's another freshman so and Kim from supporting Kansas City so us three will get a lot of extra work in technically and that's kinda how we, we keep up with pace because obviously with practices there's not going to be a as much
3: technical basis or technical focus Now you had your first uh, camp uh, with the national team as well Yeah uh, how, how did that work out for you? What did you learn from there? Was it some a new experience for you obviously? Yeah well
4: my first one was in November when I was still here at residency yeah. um, and that one was it was cool, I guess. Um, that was the first camp, obviously, so I didn't get the start in the first game, um, and then I came, I started the second game against the state, so that was a really cool experience. But going to Spain in August was definitely, um, I would say, definitely the, the coolest experience of my life, soccer-wise. Anyways, we went, had a played Japan the first game. I got my first goal in that game, um, so that was that was an unbelievable feeling to score against Japan in a, in a world international tournament. I mean, yeah, the guys are great. The technical ability there. Coming, I came straight from there to preseason. And I think that really, really helped me. So I think coming into this next season, next fall, uh, coming back here, hopefully training um, here and getting that work in, and hopefully getting some more national team camps that'll help me uh, adjust for next year.
3: You were here in the wintertime as well. Uh, with the, well, you came for a week or so, and then now yeah. you are a couple weeks here. What have the coaches here told you to work on when you go? If you go back, if you do go back to university and yeah, uh, uh, what do, what do you think you need to work on yourself too as well?
4: Um, well, obviously the the pace of the game here is is so much better. So, it's not really something I can continuously work on. I guess it's just individual work there, but obviously the technical work is what I just need to keep keep keeping up with because I don't want to fall too far behind coming back here and have to readjusting. Obviously, even this first day, yesterday was the my first day back here, and the pace is just so much faster. It took me like that half an hour or whatever to adjust, but I think I'm starting to get a ha- the hang of it again. But yeah, it's just technical work. I think obviously keeping up with fitness as well. I would say I'm I'm fairly fit right now, but... The kind of fitness for this this level and college is totally different. College is more just running back and forth, not so much with the ball, not so much directional. Um, It's it's more forwards and backwards. Here, there's a lot of a lot more movement, a lot more thinking. So I got to keep my mind sharp and just kind of keep up with everything.
3: Okay, thanks a lot. So that was uh, residency product Brody Otema and obviously current Duke Blue Devil striker. Now he's a, a guy who hopefully is a face of the future. We also want to plug us the series that is now continuing this week with at AFTN. The, the Whitecaps all-time greats uh, celebrating the 40 years of Vancouver Whitecaps history in a number of leagues. And this week, uh, Michael, we're talking about the top defenders from NASL.
1: Yep, we're picking our back four. We already have a goalkeeper in Phil Parks. Now we're trying to pick the four guys in front of him. For me, my back four selection is Bobby Leonarduzzi, Bruce Wilson, John Craven, and Sam Leonarduzzi. So get over onto AFTN.ca, look for the all-time
3: greats thread, and leave your selection there. Yeah, uh, just to let you know, my my picks, uh, similar to yours, I substituted Sam Leonarduzzi for Rudy Kroll. I know he only played one year. But he had a big impact, and I'm taking into his overall talent as well.
1: Yeah, he's he's definitely a guy that impressed everyone that saw him play that season. And folks still talk about him playing for the Whitecaps. An absolute Dutch legend. Now, if we're talking about legends, and we're talking about BC legends, Mike Mosher, the UBC coach, is a guy that falls into that category. Storied as a player for the Thunderbirds, and also now as a coach for the Thunderbirds, And his UBC Thunderbirds are taking on SFU Clan in an eagerly anticipated game on Friday night at Thunderbird Stadium. The game kicks off at 7 o'clock. So if you can, get along and see that and see some of the top university talent that's playing in BC right now. But that's all for this episode of There's Still Time. Just before we wrap up, we'll do our usual of telling you where we can find you online. So Steve, where can listeners find you? You can find me
3: on Twitter at at WhitecapsBeat and then also writing for Canadian Soccer News. And you can find me, Michael McCall, on Twitter at AFTNCanada. Send
1: us an email about the podcast or anything you want to Canada at Hotmail.com. And you can find all our writing, AFTN, on Canadian Soccer News, AFTN.ca. Also look out for some of my writings on Soccerly.com. So just before we do wrap up this episode, I just want to give a, a few thanks I'm always really bad for not thanking the Wells for doing our theme song So you hear it a little bit at the start, you hear it at the end So thanks to the Wells, they've got a new EP coming out So check theowells.com for all the information about that I also want to give a genuine thanks to all our listeners Who have really made this podcast become a big success When we checked the podcast listings on iTunes Canada on Monday I nearly fell off my seat as we were ranked 6th sports podcast 3rd in the professional section So just thanks to everyone for downloading and listening every week and taking part in our Twitter discussions. We hope to kind of bring you a lot more podcasts over the season. When it's a home week, we're looking to do a preview show, which Steve will have on Friday, so watch out for that ahead of the Shivas game. After home games, we're going to have a post-game pod. And then during the week, we're going to have, like this show, an interview heavy pod and just kind of touching on all the other latest happenings for the week. So, until next time, which will be Friday with Steve's preview show, thanks for listening, take care, and mourn the caps.
4: I'm stuck in a
1: lift with no leadmans. I'm stuck in a lift
4: with no leadmans. I'm stuck in a lift with no leadmans. Oh, two hours in this lift, and
1: my sanity is threatened. I think I'll try some small talk.